0: We're doing a series on Moses, and I just want to recap where we've gone, what we've discussed over the past few weeks. So we started off with the Israelites being slaves in Egypt, and then the Lord inflicted the Egyptians with 10 different plagues, until the oldest child in every family was, died when this angel of death passed over the land and at that point pharaoh begged the israelites to leave and so they packed up and they left and they're walking off through the desert and then pharaoh changes his mind and he pursues them in his chariots he chased them all the way to the red sea and then god parted the waters of the red sea and the israelites walked across on dry land But when the Egyptian army followed, God closed the sea on them, and they all drowned. And so God spent two years leading and teaching his people to rely on him in their journey through the wilderness, trying to get the unbelief, the idolatry, and pagan culture that they'd picked up in Egypt out of his people. And then they arrived at a place called Kadesh Barnea, the gateway to Canaan, the promised land. Now, if you look at the map up there, the red line is the journey that the Israelites took. There were some areas where they're not exactly sure of the route, and that's the dotted line. But if you follow the red line, it goes up to this place called Kadesh Barnea, which is the entry point to Canaan, which you can see at the top of the map on the right. And so they were ready to claim this land that God had promised to Abraham 700 years previously. All they needed to do was cross over the river into Canaan and to take their birthright. God never intended for them to send spies to check out the land. But Moses commissioned 12 spies to cross that river and go on a reconnaissance mission. God had earlier said in Deuteronomy 11 verse 24, I will drive out the inhabitants of the land before you. Every place that the soles of your feet tread, I have given to you. And so these spies were chosen, one from each tribe. There were 12 tribes of Israel representing each of Jacob's sons. Now remember last week we were talking about how Moses became overwhelmed with having to do the counselling of all those people, solving all the disputes. And so he appointed leaders to help him in this task. Now if each of those tribes... Two million people had to appoint a leader. You can be sure that those 12 leaders that went out to spy out the land were key people amongst the Israelites. They weren't just anyone. They were leaders. They were in charge of a large group of people. And so these spies... They would have known God's plan. And they would have seen all the ways that God had cared for them and and shown them miracles like the Red Sea parting and providing food like manna and quail. They would have seen all these wonderful things that God had done for his people in the wilderness. God just wanted these men to trust him. But their mistrust... Started a whole negative chain of events. So you, we would have all expected that these spies would have been full of faith as they scouted out the land. But when the spies returned, they said in Numbers chapter 13, verse 32 We know God has told us we can go, but we don't believe it. There are giants in the land. There are walled cities. They have forti- fortifications. The people are stronger than we are. We saw the sons of Anakin there, the giants. Besides that, in our sight, when we look at them, we are like grasshoppers. And so were we in their sight. They literally said that when the Canaanites saw us, they just thought, grasshoppers. These Israelites are nothing. They're just bugs that we can squash with our feet. Grasshoppers. Now where did that thinking come from? How did these spies know what the Canaanites were thinking? And so they reported back to the people. The land is full of giants. They will surely destroy us if we fight against them. But Caleb and Joshua saw things differently. And they gave their report in Numbers 14 verses 8 to 11. They said, and if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us safely into the land and give it to us. It is a rich land flowing with milk and honey. Do not rebel against the Lord. And don't be afraid of the people of the land they are only helpless prey to us they have no protection but the Lord is with us don't be afraid of them and then the whole people of Israel the whole community began to talk about stoning Joshua and Caleb these guys brought the good news they're in line with what God said and the people turn on them and say We don't believe you. Stop talking like that. It was only Joshua and Caleb that agreed with God. They saw the same giants, the same walled cities, the same fortifications. Yet they chose to believe God. And the Israelite people got angry with them. The people were afraid to step out in faith. They'd forgotten God's vision for them. You know, have you ever been in a situation where you're trying to do the right thing, but people just don't get it? And so the Lord punished them and consigned them to spend 40 years wandering in the desert, 40 years, until all those disbelieving spies had died. In New Zealand, a, prison, a life imprisonment is 20 years. It's two life sentences, wandering around in the desert because they didn't have the faith to believe what God had said, even though God had been faithful and had done everything he'd promised to do in their past. You know, sometimes we think that the views of the majority or consensus is a good way of working out whether it's God's will or not. But these were all leaders and they got it desperately wrong. Where to seek the mind of Christ? Where to seek the fruit of the Spirit? If you want to know whether it's the will of God or not, Seek the mind of Christ. Follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. And if you are following the leading of the Holy Spirit, you will see the fruit of the Spirit manifesting. You will see love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, gentleness, patience you'll see all that stuff and that's an indicator that you're on the right track but if you're in the flesh and you're going down the wrong path you're going to see violence threats of violence and intimidation and so if you're in a situation where you have to make a decision about something and people get all uptight and angry and frustrated and threaten violence don't listen to them because they are under the wrong spirit and we also are taught about the wisdom from above in James. It says there's a, there's a wisdom from God, but there's a wisdom also from man. And the wisdom from God is first of all pure, peace-loving, teachable, transparent, gentle, impartial, and merciful. Look for those characteristics in people, because those represent the character of God. Let's fast forward 40 years to see what the Canaanites were really thinking at that time. 40 years later, Joshua sent two spies into Canaan and they ended up in Rahab's house in Jericho. This is what happened, Joshua 2 verses 8 to 11. Now before they lay down, Rahab came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites, who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sion and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is the God in heaven above and on earth beneath Rahab made the truth of that situation very clear. She said, 40 years ago, as soon as we heard all that God had done for you guys, everyone was terrified. There wasn't courage in, every, in anyone. Every man was shaking with fear. Joshua and Caleb got it right. The Canaanites were the grasshoppers. They were fearful. They'd seen what God had done. Israel and they were scared and so here were ten spies believing that the Canaanites saw them as grasshoppers yet in reality they were terrified one wrong thought kept two million people from inheriting their promised land they believed a lie and because they believed that lie It had power over them. One wrong thought can keep us from enjoying the blessings that we have in Jesus Christ. It was God's will for that generation to inherit the promised land at that time. God had prophesied it 400 years earlier. He said in Genesis 15 verses 13 and 14, "...they will come out of slavery in the land of Egypt." And that generation, the one that arises from your loins 400 years from now, will possess the land that you are just a sojourner in. It was God's will, yet they never set foot in the promised land. You know, sometimes you have a prophecy over you, and you say, oh, this is going to happen to me. Most prophecies are conditional on certain things. And one of them is us having faith and obedience. And so in a situation like this, God can declare it, and it's God's intention. But if we rebel and we want to do things our way rather than God's way, it won't happen. Numbers 14 verse 4. The people said, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Isn't that crazy? They've been slaves in Egypt. Now, they're too scared to obey God and take this land that he's got there for them. And they say, oh, let's go back to Egypt. And Egypt is symbolic of the world. And there are people that go through a crisis in their life. And they say, oh, flag Christianity. hasn't worked out for me. I'm just going to go back and do what I want to do. Verse 11. The Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs that I have performed among them? You know, in Hebrews chapters 3 and 4, we are warned not to follow that same example of unbelief that the Israelites as a generation demonstrated. The enemy does not have the upper hand because Jesus Christ is in control. And in Hebrews 2 verse 14, it says, For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the power of the enemy. He made an open show, triumphing over Satan on the cross. Just like God said, you can conquer this land, God has told us, That he has triumphed over Satan on the cross and that we have power and authority in his name Jesus has the keys of death and hell but as long as we think that the enemy has the upper hand as long as we think that the enemy is the giant that we have to be afraid of then we will be kept captive in our thought life. We have to be willing to face and embrace God's truth. Our risen Savior is in charge. He's in control. The nations of the world are under his control. If we believe that the enemy is in control, we will never inherit God's best for our lives and for our church and this community and city. The main advantage of our enemy is that we don't recognize the power that we have in Jesus Christ. Satan is a defeated foe. With God, we can accomplish every single thing that he has commanded us to do. Are we trusting God for what lies ahead? Are we trusting in his promises to us? Or are we focusing on our fears, our doubts? Or our limited resources. The Israelites were governed by fear rather than faith. And James chapter 2, verse 17, tells us that faith without action is dead. We can say we believe in Jesus, we b- believe that Jesus conquered Satan on the, on the cross. But if we don't do anything about it, that's not faith. Faith without works, without action is dead. Instead of trusting God, the Israelites focused on the obstacles in their way and they shrunk back. As believers, we've been set free by the blood of Jesus Christ and we face a joyful, victorious future in Christ. And so an ongoing life question that confronts each one of us is, where do we go from here? Many people and churches have reached their Kaddish. They're on the end of their promised land, on the edge of their promised land. It's important to believe that better things are possible for us. Do we as a community of believers really believe that we can do better than we are doing? What are the prophecies and promises that have been spoken over this church in the past? Our God is the same God that the Israelites had. Yet they did not believe in God's ability to overcome the obstacles that they encountered. Are we? Are we ready to move forward and go on to achieve greater things in the name of Jesus? Or are we limited to what we can do in our own strength? You know, God had fed and protected the people while they'd wandered around that desert for two years. They'd won battles, but they hadn't grown up. When they were asked to possess the land, they didn't trust in God. And it can be the same with us. It can be the same... In the church? What are the giants in your life that bar the way to freedom in Jesus Christ? When Israel encountered difficulties, they always wanted to return to slavery in Egypt. The security of the known was less threatening than the challenges of the unknown. And so the Lord said to them in Deuteronomy 31, verse 6 Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God will go ahead of you. He will neither fail you nor forsake you. When we take action, we overcome our fears. When we challenge our fears, we master them. When we wrestle with our problems, they lose their grip and hold on us. When we confront the things that trouble us, we open the door to an exciting future in Christ. It's interesting when you look back through people that God called in Scripture for a particular role people like Gideon and, and Joshua and David, Joseph. All these people that were called to do great things for God felt that they were inadequate. And they told God that they're not up to it, they're not strong enough, they don't have the confidence. And God responded to them in Isaiah 41 verse 10. He said, I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. You might be going through a a faith crisis at the moment. You may have a situation ahead of you and you're overwhelmed. You feel it's too much for you. But God is saying that same thing to you today. He's saying, I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. If God be for us, who can be against us? Why would we choose to go any other way than God's way? John Mason wrote the following. He said, the desire for safety stands against every great and virtuous dream. Okay, you've got dreams. You've got vision for your life but we're all tempted to play safe, aren't we? Security, many times, is the first step towards stagnation. Boldness and vision is the first, second, and third most important thing. If you dare nothing, you should expect nothing. So whatever opportunity or obstacle you're facing today, Factor God in. Nothing is impossible to God. If God is directing you and you're hearing him clearly, he will go with you. He will uphold you with his right hands. Sometimes the circumstances of life propel us in a direction that we just don't want to go. We know we're going in the wrong direction. But we lack the energy and motivation to do anything about it and we end up stagnant and depressed feeling hopeless we may come along to church and be challenged by a sermon we might read our devotion and and a verse speaks to us we might go to an inspirational movie but two weeks later we've just never really got around to doing anything about it what are you modeling in your life Is it something that's real and vital? What are you passing on to your children and your grandchildren? These Israelites couldn't get Egypt out of their system. Something had been modelled to them that they couldn't let go of. What are you modelling to your children? Are you modelling faith in Jesus Christ? Vision, enthusiasm, excitement for what lies ahead or are you just convincing them that all that Christianity involves is turning up to church on a Sunday what is the next positive action that the Lord is directing us as a church to take are we setting ourselves on a course where great things are possible you know it's interesting when you look at a church history because each pastor that a church has is like a chapter in the story and I don't want my time here just to be another boring chapter I believe that God sent me here and Helen and I believe that this church has incredible potential way way more than we we think I mean, the fact that we're a welcoming community to such a diversity of people is a wonderful thing. The fact that we're reaching out to our community in so many ways and we're seeing regular fruit from that is absolutely wonderful. You know, revival broke out in Topo a few years ago. You guys know more about it than I do. But it wasn't sustained. And I wonder whether some of the church leaders or the leaders of that revival were a bit like those ten spies. That rather than being unified and seeking the word of God and the will of God and praying into the situation and not fighting amongst themselves but listening to God and doing what God wanted them to do. Because it didn't happen like that. Because there weren't enough Joshua's and Caleb's. It fizzled out. I used to be an economics teacher and I used to focus on development. And it's very interesting because countries that move from being poor to being rich go through a cycle. I want to teach into this sometime, but I see a similar cycle amongst Christians. And I think we can get to a place where we are in a Kadesh situation. We're on the edge of the promised land. And how we act and how we respond and what we do in times like that are absolutely vital. The fact that revival has occurred here in the past means that we have met some of the prerequisites, the preconditions, that it can happen again. And so we can be enthusiastic, we can be excited. We can pray into these things and we can see God move in this place in a way we haven't seen before. It's interesting, as you go around New Zealand, um, there's all these prophecies that say there is going to be an, an end time harvest. And it's actually going to start in New Zealand. And the revival is going to start in New Zealand and people are going to move throughout the world, bringing teaching and revival wherever they go. And several cities in New Zealand think that it's gonna start with them. There's not many that can say it's already happened in this place. And Easterfest is an exciting event because it's bringing the churches together. We're the church of Topol. We're not competing against each other, we're working for God's kingdom in this situation. On Tuesday at 7.30, there is a prayer meeting for Easter Easterfest in this church. And on Monday night, we still have our normal Monday night prayer meeting at 7 o'clock. Let's pray. Lord, we're excited because we know that all things are possible to you. And Lord, we want to be men and women of faith. We want to have leaders who are godly men and women who know you and hear from you and speak to you. And the conversation is two-way. Lord, I pray that you will lead us. Lord, I, I do sense that we are on the edge in Kadesh and that there is a wonderful promised land ahead of us. Help us to listen to you, to be obedient to you, and step out in faith. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.